As we approach the 75th anniversary of the United States dropping atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in Japan, pro-nuclear forces are lined up to deluge us with pro-bomb, pro-nuclear weapons propaganda. And you can bet they'll be taking pot shots at those who raise their voices against these weapons of mass destruction, telling us we just don't understand the issues and are trying to rewrite history. But then you hear about the work of a coalition of activist groups from around the country planning a brilliant array of presentations that will live stream on the anniversary events. And one of the people involved in it tells you, This is really more about looking forward, where we can agree that two cities flattened by these weapons, that's enough. That we don't want to see any more atomic bombs used on anybody. Makes sense to me. And when you hear that simple explanation of what those who oppose nuclear weapons want, you realize that there are a lot of people trying to find a way for the world to finally, completely step away from the terrible seat that we all share. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halevi. I am the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, we learn about special programming being assembled for livestream to commemorate the 75th anniversary of the dropping of the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. We talk with Martin Fleck, Nuclear Weapons Abolition Program Director for Physicians for Social Responsibility, and Lily Adams, an independent consultant specializing in nuclear weapons outreach and policy issues, currently an outreach consultant with the Union of Concerned Scientists in their global security program. And you, yes, you listening to this program right now, will learn how to submit a proposal to have your information, your statement, your wisdom, your your art become part of this online programming set for August 6th and 9th. We will also have nuclear news from around the world, numbnuts of the week for outstanding nuclear boneheadedness, and more honest nuclear information than can penetrate the multi-level cluster of difficult news that everyone has been dealing with. All of it coming up in just a few moments. Today is Tuesday, June 23, 2020, and here is this week's nuclear news from a different perspective. In Japan, TEPCO, Tokyo Electric Power Company, has determined that there are no obstacles to the removal of 587 still radioactive fuel assemblies from the unit's used fuel pool. They will not be able to begin work until any time between 2024 and 2026. 
Tokyo-based Mitsubishi UFJ Financial Group will ban the provision of financing for the production of nuclear and other weapons of mass destruction. A Mitsubishi UFJ official attributed the revisions to, quote, broad perceptions in the international community about the inhumane nature of nuclear weapons. Lithuania has been handing out potassium iodide pills ahead of the opening of a new nuclear plant in Belarus, saying that the Astrovyets reactor does not meet security standards. India has announced that if Donald Trump resumes U.S. nuclear weapons testing, India will follow. We will link to that article. In the U.S., in Michigan, On June 19, a coalition of environmental and public interest groups warned Michigan Governor Whitmer and other officials about concerns regarding increased risks at Michigan's nuclear power plants in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll see if Michigan pays any attention to this warning. And now... Nuclear hot seat, nuclear hot seat, nuclear hot seat, none that's out of week. Backers of the proposed so-called interim nuclear waste storage sites, meaning dumps, in New Mexico and West Texas, claim that it will be perfectly safe to ship the accumulated high-level radioactive waste from nuclear reactors all across the country. So let's take a look at that so-called safety factor, shall we? On Friday, June 19, in Andover, Vermont, a truck carrying a new empty storage cask for nuclear fuel rods that was on its way to the shuttered Vermont Yankee plant in Vernon, Vermont, crashed and overturned. According to the head of the company which took part in the recovery of the truck and its cargo, it appeared that the driver had slowed the vehicle down for the road construction area where cones made the lane too narrow for the truck. As the driver moved over in his lane, his wheels ran into the loamy, disturbed earth on the shoulder and began to tip. The load was top-heavy, and it went over. Imagine if it had carried a full load of so-called spent fuel rods, which are still highly radioactive, the exact things that Holtec wants to be able to transport to West Texas or New Mexico. The total weight of the rig and the empty 125,000-pound nuclear storage cask was a total of 210,000 pounds, or 105 tons. Writing the truck took two full days. And we're just learning that on June 4th, a rail car that was carrying low-level radioactive waste caught fire in Bedford Park, Illinois just 11 miles from Chicago's Midway Airport. Flames engulfed approximately 10% of the car, and it took five and a half hours before the fire burned itself out. It contained zirconium fuel cladding that at one point contained enriched fuel, so there was uranium present. The debris and combustible waste that was being carried was also contaminated with radioactive material. So there you have it. A glimpse into our shared possible future, which is why anyone who supports the two proposed so-called interim waste storage sites in the Southwest and thinks that transporting it across country is going to be eh, no big deal, you are out of your minds, and that is why you 
are this week's Nuclear Hot Seed, None Nuts of the Week. We'll have this week's featured interview in just a moment. But first, nuclear weapons on hair trigger alert, the framework of international treaties demolished, the seeming inevitability of a new arms race, and then there's Space Force. We are facing a wider range of nuclear dangers than ever before. And the only way to fight against them is to know what's going on and what we can do to change things. That is why you need Nuclear Hot Seat. We look at the nuclear aspect of our world every week, and especially now with the coronavirus wrecking havoc on the safety of reactors, weapons, and radioactive waste. You're not going to be getting this information from mainstream media. Nuclear Hot Seat is the only place you can count on to report the ongoing, evolving nuclear truth about weapons, waste management, uranium mining, and the COVID nuclear connection around the world. To keep this show running takes time, effort, energy, and, of course, funding. But since COVID hit, things have been ever more challenging, and now more than ever, your help is needed to keep this show going. That's why the time would be right now to support us with a donation. We make it easy. Just go to NuclearHotSeat.com and click on the big red Donate button to help us with a donation of any size. And to send us a monthly $5, the same as a cup of coffee and a nice tip here in the U.S., click on the big green Donate button. Please do what you can to help now. And know that however much you can help, I'm deeply grateful that you're listening and that you care and that you are part of making a difference in the world. Now, here's this week's featured interview. As I've often remarked on this show, the media ignores anniversaries of important events unless the number is divisible by five. That's why it's significant to the world's media that August 6th of this year marks the 75th anniversary of the U.S. dropping of the atomic bomb on Hiroshima, and August 9th, marks the time the second atomic bomb was dropped on Nagasaki. Media feeding frenzy is certain to result. It's a sure bet that the nuclear industry and its toadies have been in long preparation for a propaganda push that will basically boil down to rah-rah nukes. As though, by the example set in Japan 75 years ago, the incineration of 160,000 people the release of radioactivity that poisoned the earth and still harms our health is, by some stretch of the imagination, a good thing. But how in the world can a small, underfunded community of those who oppose nuclear going to be able to fight against this bombgasm of pro-nuclear media? Well, lucky for us, and the planet, and the future. Behind the scenes, Plans and actions have been going on since last year to prepare for this landmark anniversary. And that's what we're going to talk about today with two members of the National Working Group that has been planning the anti-nuclear side of things for a long, long time. Martin Fleck is a veteran anti-nuclear activist, currently the National Nuclear Weapons Abolition Program Director for Physicians for Social Responsibility. Lily Adams 
is an independent consultant specializing in nuclear weapons outreach and policy issues, who currently works as outreach consultant with the Union of Concerned Scientists in their global security program. Together, they are just two of a large coalition of groups and concerned individuals who are creating our own network of media programming to mark the anniversary of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and in the process, may be marking a turning point in anti-nuclear activism. We spoke on Monday, June 22nd, 2020. Martin Fleck and Lily Adams, thank you so much for joining me here on Nuclear Hot Seat. Thanks for having us on the show. Thank you so much. Martin, let's start with you. You are with Physicians for Social Responsibility and have been for many years opposing atomic nuclear weapons for decades now. Tell us a little bit about your background and your work for PSR. I actually haven't been working for PSR my whole adult life, but sometimes it seems like it. But I was studying architecture in college around the time that the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan. Jimmy Carter went from kind of a dovish person to a much more hawkish person. And then Ronald Reagan was elected. And I just remember thinking that this could all really go bad really fast. Uh, and I was very concerned. So I changed over into a political science, international relations kind of major. And then the freeze campaign got going right after I graduated from college. And I volunteered because I thought the free, you know, freezing both the United States and the Soviet Union's uh, arsenals was a really good idea. And I started volunteering for them. And then the rest is history. I been involved ever since, one way or the other, trying to get rid of these nuclear weapons, which I think were one of the stupidest ideas that we ever came up with. Get no argument from me on that one. Lily, you represent the rarest of all things in this movement, the younger generation. Now, I hate to put the whole thing on you like that, but sometimes it just seems that we don't have anybody younger than Leona Morgan. How did you become interested and involved in working against nuclear weapons? I have a background in environmental organizing, community organizing, so I thought I would go into the climate change movement, but a couple of years after college, I got involved with a group called Washington Physicians for Social Responsibility, where Martin used to be, actually back in Seattle, which is uh, my hometown. What really drew me into the movement was learning that Washington State was home to the largest collection of deployed nuclear weapons in the United States. And it was really shocking to realize that nuclear weapons were so close to my home. And then I started learning more about some of the other ways that nuclear weapons had impacted Washington State. Things like the Hanford site, things like the high population of, Marshall, of the Marshallese community in Washington State and the Spokane tribe where uranium was mined. Learning about all of these really close connections to nuclear weapons where I grew up was what really drew me in and kept me into the issue because I realized how much more relevant it was to my life than I had originally understood. And what is your current work with the Union of Concerned Scientists? So I'm an outreach consultant with uh, the Union of Concerned Scientists. And so a big part of my role there is uh, work with our members and members of the public to advocate on nuclear weapons policy issues and make sure that their voice is heard in the places where it matters, like with our members of Congress. And then I also do some work uh, independently, working specifically with uh, nuclear frontline communities or the communities that have been impacted by nuclear weapons impacts, uh, like testing and uranium mining. 
And you were involved with creating a database that puts together the frontline communities with the nuclear, for want of a better word, positioning organizations, the ones that work to try and coordinate on a state or on a national level. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So something that I really have seen in this field is that there's a big disconnect between the communities that have been directly impacted by nuclear weapons and those who work on policies to change nuclear weapons and how we control them or uh, think about using them or not using them. So a big part of my goal has been to connect these two groups to make sure that they're working together and supporting each other's fights. All really important work, and especially as we are coming up on the 75th anniversary of the atomic bombs being dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That would be August 6th and August 9th. And the media is well known for ignoring anniversaries unless they end in a number that's divisible by five. So especially with one as major a number as 75, we already know that we're going to get hammered with propaganda from all the different pro-nuclear forces that are out there in the world. Now I have learned in email that came in part through PSR, but in other directions as well, that there is a coalition of groups that has come together that oppose nuclear that have been working to create and coordinate programming around these two monumental dates in August. First of all, Martin, who are these people who came together and how did this process get started? Thanks for asking. There's some organizations in the DC area that have grassroots components. Uh, And then there's some other organizations in the DC area that are concentrated on advocating and uh, working with Congress. And we tend to call these these groups like the NGO community in Washington, DC. So representatives from several of those organizations started actually having conversations late last year about, and it's a good darn good thing, I give a lot of credit to John Pope of Rethink Media for starting a series of calls very early on to get ready for the 75th anniversary this year. So we started talking about, well, we should try to make as big a deal of of it as we can. And we just hashed over a position statement with representatives, both from local organizations and national organizations in on this crafting of this position statement. And then we sent, once once we had decided upon it, we sent it out very widely and invited all different organizations who care about this to sign on. If they agreed with the position statement, they could sign on and, and essentially officially become part of our 75th anniversary Hiroshima-Nagasaki coalition. And so far, we've got 150 organizations have signed on. A lot of national groups, all the big national groups, pretty much plus um, quite a few groups that are sort of like state coalitions, and then a lot of local organizations, including a lot of church and religious faith-based organizations have have joined in. So we're excited about that. And uh, there have been a series of um, monthly calls where everyone is invited. It's a Zoom call, like what we're doing, uh, where people are invited to come and help us steer this process and how it's going to go forward. So something that I've been really excited about with the work that's been happening around these anniversaries is really the diversity of groups involved. I think even in our fairly small anti-nuclear weapons community, we have this tendency to kind of silo into the big national groups and the smaller local, more grassroots groups and policy wonks. 
And it's been really great to see all of those groups come together in what has been a really collaborative effort. Um, there have been so many people that have put a lot of really hard work into this already um, that have really been building something bigger than I think we've seen in a long time around these anniversaries. And it's been great to see some new folks coming in, especially what we've really tried to do this year is bring in those communities that have been directly impacted. So Habakusha, of course, the survivors of the bombings in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but also the victims and survivors of nuclear weapons activities in the U.S. So those who have been affected by uranium mining, um, the Marshallese community that has been affected by testing, and other um, communities affected by testing in the United States. Those sorts of groups, which is really um, bringing a really important voice and perspective to this anniversary. One of the things I find remarkable is how this has become really a national network, perhaps international as well. I don't know how far you're reaching for this, but here in the United States, this is the closest I have encountered to a genuine coming together of so many different groups and different perspectives. The question, the problem then becomes, how do you address this in the time span that we have in August? So this will make sense not only to each other, but to people perhaps coming from the outside to the issue of nuclear, to finding out what it's really all about. So what has been decided in terms of the the programming, the platform, the everything, what is there that has been created that actually is very exciting and that people need to know about that is going to be coming up? Let me start just by, before we talk about the new website, it's amazing, just to talk a little bit about how every year for many years, organizations that are concerned about nuclear weapons around the country have taken advantage of the fact that people are aware of what happened in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And so when the Hiroshima and Nagasaki anniversaries have come up, traditionally that has been a time for local peace groups and national peace groups to commemorate that in some way. So locally, it could take the form of an event with speakers. It could take the form of a public event that has music, perhaps art. Lily and I have both experienced uh, in Seattle. There's a, a typically a large event by the side of a lake in Seattle, and uh, Japanese craftspeople are there to create Japanese lanterns, which mm. we, we then float on the lake. So there's all different kinds of ways to commemorate Hiroshima and Nagasaki that have been done in the past. And we knew that there would be a lot. There were 73 of them that we tracked in 2019, 73 of them around the country. Mm. So we were looking for a way to mate together all of these local groups who do these events with some sort of national activity and also to be able to use some of the clout, outreach clout of some of the national groups to try and you know, fuse these things together into, into one entity. So we'll, we'll be keeping track of all of these local events, which of course, because of the pandemic, are going to have a different nature this year. But we're looking to keep track of all of these local events and at the same time offer something virtual that's on the national level. Lily's been heavily involved in, um, in some of the new stuff for 2020. So as Martin said, a really big goal of this effort from the beginning has been to highlight the amazing work that people do locally all across the country and really amplify that. So being such an important anniversary, we wanted to find ways to highlight that great work. Obviously, things have changed a lot with the pandemic. So while we originally focused solely on 
how we could, you know, share different groups' local events. We've recognized that many groups are going to have to go virtual this year. So recently, we have kind of shifted to a new model where we'll be holding virtual events on August 6th and August 9th. And the goal of those events is to bring those wonderful commemoration events that would have been happening in person all around the country um, and provide a platform for them online. And with all of these different groups involved, we have this opportunity to really share that more widely. And again, you know, always with the focus of wanting to really highlight those who have been directly impacted. So we're, from what we've seen so far from groups that have submitted proposals for these events, we're seeing lots of things that share the stories of Habakasha and share the stories um, and fights of different impacted communities. So we're really excited about these virtual events as a way to bring people together, even while we're figuring out how to do the social distancing, but still really have that message of solidarity on these anniversaries. So that's, that's been a big development, and uh, we're really excited for people all across the country to submit their proposals to be a part of this virtual event, um, and folks can absolutely still do that. We're accepting proposals through July 1st. We are looking for proposals from organizations, the various organizations that have signed on to the position statement, then we're looking for proposals from them. By July 1st. I just wanted to point out that this is not the content. We're not looking for the content by July 1st, but we're, we're looking for good proposals for things that would be compelling and that would tell the stories of what's happening locally and that would then be, become a part, a segment in a long live stream. Don't know how many hours long, but a long live stream on August 6th and then another long live stream on August the 9th. And of course, want to point out the website which is really the portal where any of your listeners could go and find out a ton about what's going on this year. It's very exciting. And I want to point out it's an unbranded website, which means that no one organization is claiming this website. And that is one of the real accomplishments of our coalition work this year is to be able to establish such a thing. And that's Hiroshima Nagasaki 75.org. And it's the number 75.org. That's right. Thank you. In going to the website, I found that it was very clear. It was easy to follow. It had a very succinct distillation of the points that we deal with because so often we can go, hey, let me tell you about nuclear, and it goes on forever, as opposed to let's get lean, mean, and down to what are the talking points, and you seem to do that. So tell us more about the website, what people can find there and how they can engage with it. Well, first of all, thank you so much for saying that about the website. That really was our hope was that it would be very accessible and that even those who were totally new to this issue could find the information they needed to understand the context and take action. A really big thing also that we wanted to emphasize on the website was we we tried to really bring the perspective of the Habakasha which is that we remember the horrors of the bombings in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and of course we can't forget that. But something that's really beautiful about the Habakusha's message is that we also look forward and we have hope for the future and the opportunity to make change. So that's really been kind of the framework for everything on the website. A couple of things that you can find there, there's the position statement that Martin mentioned with all of the existing signers, and there's a way for groups to add their name to that position statement. You can learn more about some of the basic issues related to nuclear weapons. 
There's a voices page, which has personal stories and testimonies from Habakusha and from some of those other impacted communities that we've been talking about, which is a really wonderful part to hear from people firsthand about what their experience of nuclear weapons has been. There are also a lot of ways that people can take action that are outlined on the website. So we have um, a petition on the website called the Habakusha Appeal, which is a petition written by Habakusha in Japan calling for the elimination of nuclear weapons. It's a really spectacular petition. They've collected over 10 million signatures all around the world. And we are working to do our best to add to those signatures. There's a great toolkit that's been put together that has um, information about the anniversaries and sample social media posts and sample emails people can send to their members and lots of other resources. And then, of course, there's information about the event itself that we're holding on August 6th and 9th, and people can go there to submit proposals to be a part of the event and also to receive updates about the event itself. What sort of material are you looking for in terms of people's submission? Because I think this is one of the most exciting things about what you're putting together. I mean, first of all, as a broadcaster, I see this as a broadcast network for people who are interested in peace, interested in ending nuclear, and taking care of the issues that will be around for you know 24,000 and more years because of the plutonium. But be that as it may, I see the opening for people to offer of themselves as part of this programming being very important and very all-inclusive. What sorts of things are being looked for in terms of people presenting their own material? This is an emotional sort of a time, right, where something really terrible happened. We want to prevent it from ever happening again. And faith people, you know, people of faith have a lot to say about times like this. We're looking for people to express not only their desire that things change, but also hope for the future and hope for the kids and how we might transition. Also, you know, people really grappling with the fact that there's so much at risk. You don't see nuclear weapons in the news all the time. This is one of the reasons why we're interested in these anniversaries, because it's a time where these nuclear weapons issues are going to be in the news. So it's a time to really grapple with it and encourage people not to turn away from the enormity of what this is. This is a serious existential threat. Frankly, we don't seek to relitigate the decision back in World War II to use the atomic bomb. Uh, this is really more about looking forward where we can agree that two cities flattened by these weapons, that's enough. Though we don't want to see any more atomic bombs used on anybody. We need to move in that direction. So I'm expecting there will be visuals, there will be art, there will be, we've heard about the Ribbon Project. I imagine there will be poetry, speakers, events, to the degree that people feel safe doing an event, and anything else. You know, we're, we're encouraging people to be creative. For the live streams, will it be something like at noon Eastern time, we're going to start with programming coming in and then the pieces will just be assembled and it will go as long as it goes? Or is it going to be more formally structured than that? We'll be making a schedule of events for the two days. We're expecting possibly up to eight hours of content on each day. 
So, you know, we imagine people will kind of hop in and out for things that are most interesting to them. And yeah, we will have um, a schedule and people are submitting presentations that are anywhere from five minutes to 90 minutes. So it's going to be a, a real range and a real diversity of what these different presentations look like. And as Martin said, we're really encouraging people to be creative. The other thing that we're doing is that when groups are holding their own local events and there's the opportunity to, we can simultaneously stream those or find ways to share what they're actually doing locally in this uh, national space as well. So there's an opportunity if folks just want to have a larger platform for what they're already doing. So we've had a couple of submissions that look like that. Well, I started out um, being really very sad that because of the because of COVID-19, so many of these local events, right, people are going to be, it's going to really throw cold water on a lot of these local events. But now, as this is developing, I'm also realizing that because of this coming together that's happening on a national level, there's actually an opportunity here for local organizations to really like tell the world what they've been doing and what they are doing in their local community. So we're really trying to make the best of it. And I think there's a lot of potential. I actually think that this might be a watershed moment for our movement because instead of little individual groups getting together in various places, we will all have the chance to join the little groups or the little dealings or the personal expressions and give them a much larger platform, which can go out into the world. Now, I presume that this is all going to be recorded so that people can access it at a later time? Yes, that's correct. Fantastic. And I should say that our scope is the United States because actually, frankly, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki themselves, there's always big events. So typically, have there have been big events. And there are organizations like Gensukyo in Japan that will be organizing events offshore. We're very interested in what's going on in the United States. And of course, we feel, I think Lily and I would agree, that the United States policy is really pivotal in whether or not we survive through this nuclear age or not. That's really true. And we also wrote the position statement when we first started thinking about this whole effort, kind of from the U.S. perspective, with the understanding that the United States has a responsibility to act on these issues and to act on these anniversaries as the only country to ever use nuclear weapons in conflict. In the commemorations, it's such a teaching moment as well. Do you have any people or groups that have structural elements? Have you put anything together? The equivalent would be, say, television news covering a convention where there's the group up in the booth that's, you know, talking to each other and making the comments. And then there are the people on the floor and they go to the person on the floor. They go to something that's been pre-recorded, and then they put it back together. Is there going to be anything like, you know, uh, Martin Fleck and a Lily Adams or two other people or possibly more sitting there as the anchor of it. So it's not just a series of little vignettes, but with no context being provided. I realized I should start. Um, I'd be remiss if I did not do this to give a shout out to Yasmin Silva of Beyond the Bomb, who was really actually in the mastermind of this digital event. She was the one who proposed it and is kind of running everything behind the scenes. So I uh, want to make sure that her hard work is recognized here. Yasmin is really doing a great job of putting all this together. And I think we will have quite a team behind the scenes, making sure everything runs smoothly and fits together. And I imagine that, you know, we'll have a mix of pre-recorded segments and live segments 
So we will be needing, you know, to provide context for all of those and string everything together. So yeah, I mean, we are, we're still figuring out all of the logistics, but we do have a great team that's working on making sure it goes smoothly. And as you said, isn't just, you know, a bunch of unconnected segments. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll have to have an MC or more likely MCs. So thank you for all your suggestions. <laughs> well, here's another one. You're using the hashtag still here. My knowledge of hashtags is it's supposed to be something that is searchable. So that there's a, you know, I would go for something like Hiroshima Nagasaki 75 lies, something along those lines. That would be me. Why was the hashtag still here decided upon? We talked about a lot of different possible hashtags. Another one that we're using is hashtag 75 years of with the suggested addition of resilience and resistance. So we do want to specifically mention the 75. We really liked the phrase still here because it captured two important things. One, that the nuclear weapons themselves are still here. And we still have so much work to do to eliminate them and to make progress towards a world without nuclear weapons, but also that the survivors of nuclear weapons are still here. So, and that's really been so much of the focus is that, you know, we still have so much to learn from the Habakkusha who are still telling their stories. And we have so much to learn from uh, the victims of nuclear weapons activities in the United States. And I think, you know, part of coming at this from a U.S. perspective is, drawing those connections between what happened in Japan to what's happened right here in our own country and in the Marshall Islands um, in regards to nuclear weapons. Those are, those are impacts that people don't often hear about. So we wanted to have something broad that could also encompass all of that while making sure that we are, you know, as we said, still remembering these tragic bombings in Japan. I would add to that that civilization is still here. And in some ways, that's a miracle. If you look at how many accidents and near misses that we've had since 1945, we should celebrate that we're actually still here as a civilization. We could put civilization in quotes on some days. (laughs) You spoke about media outreach and creating tools for people to be able to use in their outreach. Is there any overarching by the, as you put it, the nuclear NGOs to get word out about this is happening? Is there any kind of coordination of talking points or outreach or going to our contacts and saying, look, this is a big story and this is huge because it's counter-programming everything you're going to be getting from the nuclear industry? Has that outreach started and what does it look like so far? Like I was saying, John Pope is one of the staff people at Rethink Media, and he was the one who saw the, I think he, you know, he recognized the potential this year, that this was potentially a big year for getting media and started us out early. John's promising to bring the talent pool of Rethink Media to bear to help us. Lily works with Union of Concerned Scientists. He's got their own PR shop, PSR. We've got professionals to do uh, public relations Yeah, we're going to, I think this year we're going to have a more coordinated approach and some of the materials we're talking about, like talking points, are already available. At the website, you can access the uh, toolkit, which includes graphics that are shareable, that includes the hashtags, and, you know, we've decided upon common hashtags. So, yeah, we're gearing up to have a coordinated media presence, more coordinated than in the past, and I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, how that's going to play out, we have yet to see. 
Well, first of all, any effort is better than none. And the fact that this is coordinated and national, I think, is very exciting because I've said for a long time that we need to have our own echo chamber. The nuclear industry has all of these different groups with their newsletters and their PR departments, and there's world nuclear news just cranking them out every week all the major talking points, and they have reach and they have distribution behind it. This is our opportunity, first of all, to make inroads in the talking points of the nuclear industry and to set ourselves up as our own information network so that reporters, instead of thinking of us as the afterthought that gets into the last quarter of the article to quote unquote provide balance when really we've been discounted simply by our placement, that it gives us a stronger voice, a more central voice, a more coordinated voice so that we're all speaking to the same issues as opposed to, you know, in our little bits and pieces with our little local issues, doing what we can, but still not having any sense of clout. Yeah, absolutely. I, w- I would just say that I'm from the beginning, this kind of media coordination and strengthening of the message that we want to share on these anniversaries has been a really key goal. As Martin said, there are talking points. Part of the work of the position statement was actually to lay out the messaging that we want to share in our media work. People like John are going to be helping people as they're doing media work, both locally and nationally, use those talking points and really put forward that message in a strong way. So yeah, that, that's absolutely a big part of what we're working to do. If someone's listening and you have a great idea for a segment that ought to be in this national live stream on either August the 6th or August the 9th, good for you. Thanks for being a part of this. So mechanically, the way you would um, get involved, if you're not already, would be to go to www.hiroshima-nagasaki75.org. And then when you get there, you can go to actions and then join our event. Now, in order to join the event, we ask that you sign on to the position statement, which I think you'll find agreeable. Just if you're the kind of person who's listening to the show and is concerned about nuclear weapons. But assuming that you're okay with the position statement and can sign on to it, that is the way that you would submit a a proposal for a segment that would be part of the national live stream. Well, I certainly have my proposal that I'll be putting in hopefully later today. But this brings us to a point. We're building up to these two dates of grief, of mourning, of horror. Some people are going to be going whoop-de-doo in Los Alamos, but there are those of us of heart and conscience who will be acknowledging that date and doing what we can. As of August 10th, All this energy has been put out in this direction, building this network, getting the live stream going. As of August 10th and then forward, what might become of the network that has been formed, the talking points? What's going to happen to the website? That's a bit of an unanswered question at this moment, but we have talked already about how, as Martin said, this is a really exciting new kind of coalition. You mentioned that as well, that it's truly a national group that's come together in a way that hasn't in a long time. And I think it's worth really building on that and continuing to work with it. I think this an exciting thing that we've created and we don't want to lose that. Hopefully, you know, the 75th anniversary is important, as you said, because it's a multiple of five. (laughs) And um, we usually tend to pay more attention to those anniversaries 
But we have seen in the past that, you know, many other anniversaries don't get the recognition they deserve each year. And so I think we hope that this will keep building. So at the 76th and the 77th anniversaries, we're still working to do this, the same kind of action and bringing people together in the same way. Wouldn't it be great if by the 77th anniversary or somewhere thereafter, very shortly, we won't need to do these kind of protests because the point will have been made and the world will have come to its senses? It's gotta happen. We don't have a choice. We won't survive if the world doesn't come to its senses. With regards to um, where do we go, what happens starting on August 10th, at the website, there's actually a list of key issues that you will see. We're trying to use this website and this occasion to educate people about things that are happening right now. The administration has asked for a 20% increase in the Department of Energy's nuclear weapons program for the next fiscal year. The Senate Armed Services Committee has already drafted up a bill that would include, that basically gives the Trump administration that and more that it's asking for, big increases in nuclear weapons programs. That's taking a status quo that was bad and making it worse. What we see, I think Lily and I and the others who are working on the Hiroshima Nagasaki 75th anniversary commemorations and the working group, we're seeing a world after August 10 that moves into a transition into something very different from the status quo one that is more about justice, one that is more about budgets should serve people, one that is more about a foreign policy that doesn't depend on threatening other people with with utter destruction. We have to move there. It's a just transition. We're seeking a transition to a new way of doing things. And it's going to take a while to get there. There's a lot of different elements of that. But I'm confident that we can if the willpower is there and we work together. We have also seen in the last couple of weeks this call for resuming nuclear weapons, explosive nuclear weapons testing. You know, that's a line that I don't think any of us thought we would ever be crossing again or considering crossing. So clearly there is still a lot of work to do um, and we still have a lot of fights on our hands. So I think that this kind of coalition is more important than ever because we're seeing these kind of outrageous proposals. The United States is facing a perfect storm right at the moment. We've had an administration that has done a poor job of defending the country and protecting the people of our country and caring for the people of our country. Then on top of that, we have a pandemic has occurred. Then an economic collapse has occurred due in part to the pandemic. We've seen police brutality that has brought out in people their need for justice. So the country, we're kind of in a difficult point right now in our history. I think the history books will look back on this year, 2020, as a pivotal year. You know, we have a big electoral decision to make later this year. So I just wanted to point out that Arundhati Roy, who I've always admired, came out with an article back in April. And she talked about the pandemic and how that we should not look at it as this trial that we're going through. Of course it is, but we shouldn't look at the pandemic and think, oh, if it could only go back to the way it was. She proposes that we think of it as this whole time as a portal, and we need to move through that portal, and we need to think about where we want to come out on the other side of that. So I'm hoping that those who come together and commemorate what happened uh, Hiroshima Nagasaki back in 1945 will be working together to put our country onto a different path towards a different future. I think what Martin said is absolutely right, and I think what has been... Uh, hopeful about this work on the anniversaries is this sense of building 
community and um, standing in solidarity with people in Japan, with people in the U.S. whose lives have been lost from nuclear weapons activities in this time where it feels sometimes more divisive than ever. And of course, even just with social distancing and not being able to physically be with each other, having this opportunity to come together around these commemorations and anniversaries and stand in solidarity with each other is a really wonderful opportunity and something really beautiful. So I think it's, it's this is a great chance to do that. And I'm excited that that's been a key piece of, of this project and effort. I'm also excited about it. I think this is one of the most hopeful projects I have encountered within the anti-nuclear movement or those of us who are for peace and for justice. And I agree this could be a pivotal moment within our movement, within our country, within this planet. Hey, thanks for the work that you do. Just wanted to say thank you so much for your support of this and looking forward to seeing the proposal and just really appreciate your work to you know amplify this effort. And to anyone listening, we encourage you to join us, whether or not you work on nuclear weapons issues, whether or not you're part of an organization or just an individual. This is really meant for everyone. So please check out the website and join us. For now, we all have so much work to do to get ourselves into a nuclear-free world. And I feel like I'm in great company with the two of you and everybody else who's going to be joining together on this live stream on those two days and for the work that comes after. And so I want to thank you, Martin Fleck and Lily Adams, not only for the work that you are doing, but for being my guest this week on Nuclear Hot Seat. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. Martin Fleck of Physicians for Social Responsibility and Lily Adams with Union of Concerned Scientists, who are both part of the working group creating live stream programming in commemoration of the 75th anniversary of the U.S. dropping the atom bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Now, about that programming. Get out a piece of paper and a writing implement because there are some links you're going to want to know about and use. First of all, the website for this event is HiroshimaNagasaki75.org. It's an unbranded website, meaning that it's not reliant upon any one group and no one group is taking responsibility for this. It's all of the groups working together in harmony with each other. To explore the site, start out by clicking on About to learn of the international partners who have joined together. Then, if your organization would like to join them, Scroll down to Become a Partner and click on the link labeled Sign On Here. It's pretty self-explanatory. Under the tab Actions, you will find a link to the Habaksha Appeal mentioned during the interview. Click on that and read it, because it is a deeply moving statement by those who survived the atomic bombing. Then, if you agree with and support the message of these survivors of atomic holocaust, sign the appeal. Now here's the exciting part. Until July 1st, there's time for you to submit a proposal for the August 6th and August 9th live stream programming. It will be a wide-ranging commemoration of the horrific destruction, a chance to train people on nuclear issues, the chance to hear from nuclear victims, those who survived from the Habaksha of Japan to the Tularosa Basin downwinders in New Mexico to uranium miners and all of us who deal with nuclear issues in our own backyards. 
to send in a proposal for this international live stream event. On the Hiroshima-Nagasaki75.org website, click on Actions up at the top of the page and then Join Our Event. From there, just fill out the form. And note that you don't have to have your full presentation created by July 1st, just a proposal that's no longer than 300 words. And please, I urge you to explore the site further under Voices to read some of the stories that have already been compiled about the range of the devastation that has been wrecked upon people from not just the bomb blasts, but the radioactive nuclear fallout, which continues to impact us all. Again, that website is Hiroshima Nagasaki. 75.org. And of course, we'll link to it on the website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 470. Activists, shout out, shout out, shout out, shout out. Our friends at the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons are also taking steps to commemorate the 75th anniversary of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. They are launching a new website as a anniversary and spread action and nuclear weapons. At this point, the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons needs only 12 ratifications from member nations of the United Nations in order to be put into effect as international law. They're asking for us to help them build their social media presence to help get the word out. The first is to follow them on Twitter using the handle at nuclear ban, no spaces. Then Instagram, same request, at nuclear ban. Then ask your friends to do the same. 75,000 followers on Twitter would allow their tweets to reach more than 2 million people. And on Instagram, 10,000 followers will enable them to more easily share links on their stories. It's all to do with the background algorithms of online, but trust me, sign on to at Nuclear Ban on Twitter and on Instagram. And that small effort will help to bring the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons into force and end nuclear weapons. So take a moment and do it now. And to learn about the kind of pressure brought to bear on that Japanese bank, Mitsubishi UFJ, to divest themselves of all investments in nuclear weapons production, I thought this would be a good time to remind you of Don't Bank on the Bomb. It's a Netherlands-based program that works in cooperation with ICANN to pressure banks, pension funds, and other financial resources to divest from nuclear weapons production. You can be a part of this as well, no matter how minimal your resources in the bank may be. To learn more, here's a brief introduction to Don't Bank on the Bomb by their powerhouse coordinator of research, publication, and campaigning activities, Susie Snyder. It's amazing. It's called Don't Bank on the Bomb. And that's the website, too, don'tbankonthebomb.com. Step one, find out if your bank invests in nuclear weapon producers. Step two... Contact your bank. Tell them you don't want them to. Step three, tell the world what the bank says. And if they don't get rid of investments, go public. Because no bank wants to look like a bad guy. It takes one or two people only to make a huge difference. And that 
can cut off the money stream to the companies that make nuclear weapons. You and I, we have more power than we think, and that power is sitting in our wallet. And how can people find out whether the companies that we're told the bank is supporting have any connection with the nuclear weapons industry? Well, we do a, a significant investigation every year. Now, it's not completely exhaustive, but we profile 28 companies that have association with nuclear weapons modernization and maintenance. And it's on our website, don'tbankonthebomb.com. And we really want people to use our information and contact us all the time. You can do that in, you know, through the website really easily contact me on Twitter, whatever works, and I'm happy to find out more. And if you find out, learn about more companies involved in nuclear weapons, tell us. We'll do the research, and we'll make it public for everybody to use. Love it. Susie Snyder of Don't Bank on the Bomb. You can learn more and get information you need to approach your bank, credit union, pension fund, or any other financial institution to demand that they divest or they lose your money. Go to don'tbankonthebomb.com. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, June 23rd, 2020. Material for this week's show has been researched and compiled from nuclear-news.net, deunrenard.wordpress.com, Beyond Nuclear International, the International Campaign for the Abolition of Nuclear Weapons, or ICANN, plowshares.org, japantimes.co.jp, kyotonews.net, scmp.com, eurekaalert.org, corporatedispatch.com, sltrib.com, chestertelegraph.com, exchangemonitor.com, cbsnews.com, euronews.com, the cubicle drones who sold their souls to crank out press releases for World Nuclear News, and the ever-co-opted Nuclear Regulatory Commission. If you haven't already done so, go to our Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook page, like it, share it, respond to a post, and then to make certain that you never miss a single episode of Nuclear Hot Seat, go to NuclearHotSeat.com, scroll down to the yellow opt-in box, just put in your first name and an email address, we will send you an email with each week's show connected. So you'll have no excuse for missing a single episode. Now, if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. And if you appreciate weekly verifiable news updates about nuclear issues around the world, take a moment to go to nuclearhotseat.com and use either that red or that green button. Anything will help, and we really appreciate your support. Nuclear Hot Seat is copyright 2020, Libby Halevi and Hardestry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed, as long as proper attribution is provided. This is Libby Halevi of Hardestry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you the nuclear arsenal represents a self-destruct button for the human race. That's it. That's your nuclear wake-up call. So now, don't go back to sleep. Because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Nuclear hot seat. What are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat. What have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat. The corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb.